Hi, welcome to Who's That Girl, a new girl podcast. I'm Kritika. And I'm Kelly. And today we'll be discussing Season 1, Episode 8, Bad in Bed. Episode 8, Bad in Bed, originally aired December 6, 2011, and it was written by Josh Malmuth and directed by Jesse Peretz. Josh Malmuth wore many hats on New Girl. He wrote 11 different episodes. He was a staff writer. He was story editor and did teleplay. He also wrote five episodes for Superstore, and he created the TV show Abby's and wrote two of their episodes. Jesse Peretz uh, directed five episodes of New Girl, so also pretty involved, uh, but then also directed shows like Glow, Girls, Shrill, many things actually that he directed and was part of movies, TV shows, but those are the ones that we noted and highlighted. So in this episode, Jess is exploring the next level of her relationship with Paul, and they're planning to have sex. Jess is a little intimidated because she hasn't had sex with anyone uh, but Spencer for six years, as she stated, and she goes on a little bit of an interesting journey, including watching porn on Schmidt's laptop, but also getting the guy's help on how to be good at sex, and shopping for lingerie with Cece. Meanwhile, Schmidt is attending his boss's baby shower, and we learn a little bit more about his work life, and Nick is exploring the social norms related to getting his hair cut. So let's kind of dive into that. And I guess let's start with the theme song. Yeah. So we have been tracking this for, this is our eighth episode now. And we had this theory, or at least I did, that all the even episodes are the longer theme song with everybody in it. Because we have three. There's one with um, Jess only, a long one that we've seen in every even episode so far, and then a short one. But this episode kind of broke it because it has the short intro with everyone in it. So there goes that. Yeah, I know. I was I was kind of rooting for you and I was I know your your theory was every even episode that it was going to be long. Um but yeah, I, I think it might be time to kind of stop the theme song tracking. What do you think, Ritika? Yeah, I think if there's anything really crazy or very different, maybe if there's a new one, we'll call it out if we notice it. But otherwise, I agree. We're going to kind of shut down our theme song tracker from here out. Yeah, well, it was fun to see and good to know, I guess, that there's going to be a variety of those as the show continues. That said, getting into some of the themes in this episode, Jess and Paul, they, they want to have sex. They want to take their relationship to the next level. So Jess is, is mentally, I guess, committed to the fact that this is what is going to happen and she's going to hook up with Paul. So, so that morning she goes into the kitchen and she just tells everyone in a very like cute demeanor, she's very calm about it. She goes, I want to hook up with Paul or like, we're going to have sex. And Nick just has a reaction like, why are you telling us this? And I don't know about you, Kritika, while I found it kind of funny, I also was like, why are you telling us this, Jess? Like, why is this the way you're approaching this subject? I feel like it was to get out of her own nerves because the night before she like almost hooked up with Paul and then kind of chickened herself out of it. And so I get it from that perspective, but I also feel like maybe... I do think there's something like roommate courtesy if you're going to have someone spend the night to like let your roommates know. But the way Jess said it was hilarious and like so comical to watch, but definitely not like how you would expect friends to be talking about it. Yeah. Or even just like roommates or whatnot. Yeah. I think that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Like how it's just kind of a courtesy. I mean, courtesy, but also like courtesy for yourself because you, you'll want your privacy type of thing if that is what's happening. 
And I feel like nobody else in that apartment would do that for Jess. Like no one's going to say, hey, I'm bringing um, someone over. Like when Nick brought Amanda over uh, in episode four, he didn't announce that to anyone, which is why we led to the hilarity of that episode. It wasn't something that was called out. So I don't think it's like the norm in this apartment to like have that kind of courtesy. But like in the real world, I can see that being a nice thing to like, like you said, to get your own privacy, but also to keep everyone in the loop of hey, someone else is going to be here. Yeah, and also just very Jess. Very, very Jess. And Paul and Jess together, their small talk and their like shtick together was just really cute where he comes in where he goes, oh, like, hey, Goose. And it's like, okay. And then and Paul felt it was necessary to tell to tell the guys like, oh, that means me Gusta Jess. It's short for me Gusta Jess. Which is hilarious because he calls her Goose, but she calls him Goose back. And I'm like, so it's it's not me gusta Jess, it's just like me gusta do. But it, it's cute because I actually thought Goose was like kind of a cute nickname before they explained it. Yeah. Well, and like, what a what a way to like shorten a phrase. I don't know. I thought that was really, really quite fun. But yeah, like, we're getting to know a little bit more of what is Jess and Paul and how they've already kind of come up with these nicknames. But then, you know, they're kind of testing the waters a little bit with each other. Um, but then she also, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Like they have these nicknames though. Right. But then towards the end of the episode, she goes, Oh, you really like me, Paul. And he goes like, yeah, I do. You know? And you're just like, you guys have these cute nicknames. Of course you like each other. Like Paul came back after what was that crazy Thanksgiving dinner? Like, what are you talking about? A hundred percent. And she obviously doesn't recognize that, but like, they have these cute nicknames, yes, but literally the nickname means I like Jess. And she's like, you like me? And it's like, at some point, just just accept it. He likes you and that's okay. And you're a likable person. So, you know, you're quirky and it's and it's cute. It's fine. Yeah. And like, so to, to prove that like she's worthy of this relationship or whatever, she goes to buy laundry with Cece, like you mentioned in the recap. So she buys something called the starfish which what I loved most about all of those scenes is watching the CC Jess friendship because it was really nice to see them shopping together because we don't get to see a lot of CC and Jess so I really enjoyed watching that part of their that scene I know I thought that was really fun too I think I think it's been interesting to see how CC gets woven in um I know we've kind of talked about in the past just kind of like trying to understand more about their friendship dynamic and how that how that comes to play but like this is exactly something that I would expect the two of them to be doing together is like, you know, Jess is trying to like be fresh again and like be, you know, ready to hook up with a new partner, if you will. And um, she's like, okay, well, I have to get some really sexy laundry. And even Cece is maybe like, I don't agree with you or like, or not, I don't agree with her needing to get the laundry, but like when she chooses the starfish, Cece's like, I don't know that you need that. And, um, but Jess, but Jess is, uh, you know, she, she still supports Jess and she still is there to say, yeah, okay, Jess, like get what you need. And like, this is a comedy, but it was really a vulnerable state when like Jess was talking to Cece and she was like, you've never been cheated on. Maybe if I had been more like, you know, adventurous in this respect, Spencer wouldn't have cheated on me. And it was really nice because you always see Jess as a quirky individual, which is great. But there are these moments that she really shows who she is like at a core level, not just like the fun aspects of her, but her serious sides too. Like um, I, I felt like we saw a little bit of it in the wedding when she stands up for herself. But, you know, like it, it was really nice to see that and sad a little bit too. But um, 
you know, Cece's like standing by her. Like she isn't saying, no, you don't like need this. She knows Jess needs it. So she's like, you don't need it, but you, she's not stopping her from buying that stuff either. Yeah. Jess has a lot of depth. And I think that's what makes this show. It makes Jess, Jess's character so watchable and so fun to see because she has a lot of depth where in moment, one moment, like you said, she can be saying, you know, maybe this is what I need to do. Like Spencer cheated on me like, and that's still hurting her. But then the next moment, she puts underwear on her head and she calls it a bonnet. So it's just, and, and also, also the moment where she's like, with the coral polyps, you know, and she goes, cause starfish eat coral polyps. And you're just like, I don't, I don't know what to do with that. Thanks. Thanks, Jess. <laughs> like, this is great. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I think it's just very much like, I really like what that scene was and, and, and what it brought to this episode. Um, but then Jess gets home and, I, and she finds Schmidt's laptop and she watches five and a half hours of porn. So his laptop's just sitting out there in the open and it wasn't like, you know, she opened it, clicked around to find something. Like she saw a laptop, she was on the phone with Paul and tried to get that restaurant information and it just opened up to porn. And I'm like, Schmidt, you're watching porn in the living room. You don't have a password on your computer. And it was like mid playing when you closed this laptop. I, what are you doing, Schmidt? <laughs> is that, is this like another, is this one of our catchphrases? Like Schmidt, what are you doing? I, I feel like we say that a lot already. And I can only imagine as this character grows, how much more we're going to be saying that. Yeah. And well, hopefully, hopefully a lot, lot less. But in this moment, I'm with you that, you know, it doesn't, why would you have left? I, I don't. I have no. I have no words. Kelly is speechless. It just seemed a little too easy for Jess to just pop that open and and find out. But also, it's a little interesting too. Still, this roommate dynamic of like we found out that it's been about maybe three five months since, or like, well, I guess it's not really Christmas yet, so it's been about like three and a half months, let's say. And Jess feels comfortable enough to just open Schmidt's computer without concern, you know, and just like use his things. Yeah, which it's nice because, you know, like when Schmidt does come home and find her after this five and a half hour uh, watch session. Um, <laughs> she's so scared. She's, she's so scared. <laughs> she absolutely is. But like he is un, undisturbed. Like he has no care that she's been using his laptop. She's like, oh, he's just like, I need to care for this baby shower. But, you know, if you can pass that back. And then, of course, like they get into this full discussion where, you know, Jess is like meeting with all the guys. And I think one of my favorite quotes from that scene was that young lady can really multitask. She's, she's approaching it like such a teacher that she is right. Like she's this, this teacher and she's watching this porn. Like it's and very educational. And she's like, this is what I have to do. And this is what I like to see. And like, yeah, this lady can really multitask. And you're just like, mm-hmm. Yeah. Good job. Jess. You're learning. And the guys are, like, having very different reactions. Like, Schmidt and Winston are like, yeah, that's totally normal. Like, they're, like, saying, like, whatever watching is, like, how everything is happening in the real world. Whereas Nick's over here, like, no, that that's not normal. And it's, it's really interesting because it lays into, like, future groundwork of them kind of going back and forth over, like, Nick's sexual history and, like, whether they thought he was bad in bed and how they thought about it. But, you know, Jess is just sitting over here like, guys, no, 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 help me, like, I think like at one point she actually starts imitating the moves she knows and she's like I only know four but then in Thanksgiving episode she's like out there rehearsing the play big time and she's just like 
spouting things out there. And I'm like, Jess, were you just making things up then? I think she was making things up then. She was just like saying things like she didn't know what she was talking about. And that's why even Paul in that moment was like, I don't know what she wants to do with me. Like, what does that mean? But then, you know, yeah, I'm with you here. She's the, the moves too that she's calling out and she's like clapping and like shaking things. You're just like, how did from five and a half hours of porn that you watched, how is what you're doing recreating what you saw? Not like I know what you saw, but I just don't know if I see the connection. It just... I think the first time she and Paul um, are in bed together, she says that she considers it like starting a new job with a really weird interview. Oh, oh, Jess. I was going to say, yeah, she's trying so hard, but then it's, she's also so innocent in a way. Like she's so, she's like still trying to navigate everything. It seems like she's had, Spencer was her boyfriend for so long, you know? And like, we know it was six years. We don't know necessarily that it was, um, we don't know if it was like, one of her only relationships or main relationships, but we do know it lasted a really long time. And so, yeah, I would, I don't, I don't know why she has to try so hard though to like, you know, I think at one point in the episode, Nick, Nick even says to her, like, Jess, you just take your clothes off and that's all you need to do. And she's just like, like, that wasn't enough for her to just accept that. Like, she just felt like it needed to be so much more. Um, and I think it really ties back to that concern she had with Cece in the lingerie store. And actually, when she's in that store, she does say everything she learned about sex, she learned from Spencer. So it does kind of sound like he is the he's the only real relationship she's ever had. And so it kind of leads to her like hyping herself up in the bathroom. And, you know, you you kind of have to draw the parallel to Naked, where like Nick's like having a hard time hooking up with someone after Caroline. And it kind of feels like Jess is going through something similar. It's, it's really that concern of just like, you know, after a long relationship, what, what are the next steps? How do you restart this weird job with a new person and go through that interview process? Um, and just being comfortable with that. Jess somehow did give it a go. She gave it a go and she and Paul, he comes over or like after their dinner, right? They come home and she's all in her starfish outfit and all strapped up really and and trying to just engage Paul and do all these crazy things that she saw and she honestly to me was incredibly frightening as a lumberjack <laughs> she actually and it was funny because earlier in the episode she goes oh, I'm gonna tap him like a lumber tree and I was just like interesting but then she did come back out with her lumberjack character and say I'm gonna cut you like a log yeah it was all very very scary and you know like the outfit was crazy and she really is um, continuing to try really hard. And like, you know, he tells her to take it back to the basics and then she starts to choke him. So, you know, they're kind of forcing it to happen because it's not really happening naturally. Like, you know, Jess asks Paul if he watches porn and he says no up until she admits that she does. So, you know, it's, it just feels like they're forcing things to happen for most of the episode, but it takes Nick trying to help Jess, Jess ignoring him, and then starting to listen to Winston saying the exact same things that Nick is saying. So that was nice to see her get out of her own head for a little bit, even if it had to be someone telling her that, you know, she's great, like we all know. Right. And I agree with that. And Jess, um, I guess my biggest thing with with this in this episode, while it was quite funny, and they had their moments and Jess was really trying to figure things out. I really was with you that I didn't understand why Jess and Paul were like, we have to have sex now. Like that is what we have to do. Like, I don't know what, 
made them think that they both needed to do that. I think it's just a lot of pressure that people put on themselves. I don't think Paul, like, I mean, I I do think Paul, like, kind of was awkward about it, but I think that just comes with, like, his personality to some extent. But I feel like it's a lot of, like, Jess getting over that hurdle for herself because remember back in the first episode where um, she's trying to get this rebound, like, if she had gone through with a rebound, this wouldn't have been as big of a deal. And, like, it wasn't like they weren't naturally at that stage in their relationship because it did end up happening naturally at the end in the elevator, actually. But I think after a breakup, the first time you do anything, like, that's a significant moment. It can be kind of scary and, like, a lot of pressure. Like, I mean, even if it's, like, the little things, you kind of reach for people that aren't there, right? Like, um, I don't know, like, if you text someone goodnight every day and then you break up with someone, like, that's kind of a noticeable thing. So I feel like that's where all that pressure comes from. But I'm glad to see that, like, by the end of the episode, Jess is able to get out of her own head and is able to embrace this relationship that's probably a lot healthier for her than Spencer was. I'm glad that by the end of the episode, they were able to have more of a natural moment and natural time that they got together versus being lumberjacks and wearing starfish, strappy get-ups, lingerie, and all the complications there. But anyway, uh, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about Nick getting his haircut because that was such a fun moment in this episode. I loved it. I think what was hilarious to me about it was Nick is sitting there and he like, immediately cancels this haircut after he confirms the appointment and he's on the phone like of course I'm gonna come of course I'm gonna show up why would I make this appointment if I'm not gonna show up gets off the phone he's like nope I'm not going and you're like why did you put in all that effort Nick like that is I mean I don't know why he put in all that effort but that's such a Nick thing to do like he would call and he immediately cancels and he just wants to be by himself I guess I don't know but that's just like a little special Nick thing. I love though, I love that he, uh, his solution, right? Like he was not going to go to the haircut, right? So his solution was, well, I'll just watch a video on YouTube and, you know, get like follow the YouTube video and like see what happens. Um, however, the YouTube video that he finds is a guy that cut his head like wide open and it starts gushing. Like that, how ridiculous was that? Like of all the YouTube videos, how ridiculous was that? I can't believe it's still up on YouTube. Like that kind of seems like the stuff that gets taken off of YouTube, but it only had 351,000 views. And I feel like unless that was uploaded like a day or two ago, like I feel like that would have gone viral today. Right? Like that's, that's the kind of stuff like, or like it makes me think of the girl who like curled her hair and it like was trying to curl it, the young girl, and then it burned off. Like that that's a viral video you know and this is like way more intense than that and like both Winston and Nick were like no wait let's see it again I actually um now like it is 2020 and we've had our COVID moments you know this year throughout the pandemic but (laughs) earlier this year uh my husband and I were actually like well you know the hairdressers aren't open what do we do and so we actually like we weren't like Nick where we like made an appointment that we weren't going to go to but we at least like uh looked on YouTube and found a video that how to cut our hair and we followed the video and it and it turned out mostly okay uh I I did a pretty good job on my husband's hair and my husband majorly wrecked my hair so that was a fun moment um but uh, he doesn't get to cut my hair ever again um but I I at least left the situation with my scalp my scalp my head intact and I didn't have to worry about 
being that YouTube video star who's gonna like, uh, like probably die. I don't know what happened to that guy. I don't know. It was just a really funny, funny COVID pandemic event in our lives that we even tried this and then seeing this where where Nick did it as well. And I just was like, I did that, but it ended a lot better. I'm really glad that Nick hadn't started before he had um, like seen the video because if he had started cutting and then messed up himself or like even if he had started and like messed his hair up worse than it was before, like it's hard to recover from something like that. I personally never cut my hair myself during quarantine. I just, it is what it is. But um, sophomore year of high school, the day of homecoming, I gave myself side bangs. Actually, I let my friend cut my hair without a YouTube video. We just cut it. And I mean, I don't regret it. But looking back, I was like, that could have gone horribly wrong. And I I would have gone to homecoming with terrible hair. Um, As someone who even tried this, and I wasn't even going to a major event in my life, like, if you don't, even if you trust the person with your life, you don't need to trust them with a pair of scissors. So you you took a bold move, a bold move, and I'm glad it worked out for you. It didn't work out for me, but luckily I was at home and not going to any major events or I could put my hair in such a way on, on video video that it, it nobody could really tell. Uh, it's, grow, it's grown back out at this point. Well, aside from our hair moments, Nick does actually end up getting his hair cut by going to Winston's black barber shop and they spend the whole time just making fun of him but like he still looks like he's having a good time and he's kind of into it at least more than he was when we see the other clip of him like being forced to look at someone's babies and stuff like that yeah like he was definitely trying to fit in and like make the most of it so at least when he got to that situation he wasn't trying to like shy away and and I mean and Winston actually was there in the moment and like was there with him but I, I kind of I felt bad for him just a little bit because I'm pretty positive he didn't realize they were kind of making fun of him and like playing jokes with him um, or on him. And he was like laughing along and being like, oh, no, like, oh, no, like, I want to be cool. I want to be cool. You know, and even his haircut like that he's showing Winston, he's just trying to be really cool. And like Jess can't take him seriously after that haircut. So I don't know that it was the best thing for him, but it was nice to see, you know, Nick laughing and having a good time even if it was at his own expense yeah no for sure for sure I did too just really want to um make one little note here uh we do focus on other guest stars later on uh but we do want to note in this barbershop scene Hugh Dane is the guy who plays uh or he plays the guy who pretends to be Danny Glover's grandfather in the barbershop um in Hugh Dane actually is the, um, I noticed him like pretty immediately as Hank, the security guard from the office. Um, you know, he's played in many small parts in TV shows and movies, but I at least like was like, oh, look, it's Hank, you know, <laughs> like right in that moment. And, and, and just thought that was kind of fun. Just wanted to note on him. We didn't do a full expose on him for guest stars, but just wanted to make a little note. And it's great, like, how Hugh Dane in this, like, scene is, like, riffing off of Nick about, like, being Danny Glover's grandfather, and Nick takes him incredibly seriously for just a second, and then is like, oh, okay, we're just kidding, okay. Yeah, just a second. So the other character that we haven't talked about almost at all in this uh, podcast is Schmidt, and he has his own storyline in this. So we really get into his work life, like Kelly mentioned in the podcast recap, and I mean, we start off with seeing him with a coworker who's tracking how long he's been in the bathroom and like calling out that he pooped. And it, that seems like a very psychologically unsafe work environment. 
But she didn't just call out that he pooped. She goes, you took so many minutes in the bathroom. You pooped. <laughs> I just loved her sass. Like her sass and her like, her like straight call out of it and just had no qualms and was just like, you pooped. <laughs> I've never had that happen to me. I'm like, that would be kind of mortifying. I feel like she shouldn't even care because he's the only guy in this office though. And like, it's kind of like the opposite of like what we expect from a workplace when we see it on TV, where usually it's like men running the whole thing. And in this case, it's more of like the women. And if he's the only guy in the office, which I think he even states at one point, nobody else is using that bathroom but him. So like, why does she care if he pooped? Also, what if he just goes in there sometimes to just like take a break? Because then if it's his only space in the whole office where there's no women, like maybe you just need a break. So I could get that. But he doesn't want a break because he finds out that there's a corner cubicle available and he wants to go to more office events because he didn't get invited to, I think, a bachelorette party. So he works his way into getting invited to this baby shower where it's just, it's honestly so crazy. I did not expect that when that episode started, that part. The, like, whole baby shower? Yeah, like, I mean, I don't know. I always envision baby showers as more of, like, a very calm thing. You're, like, welcoming this baby into the world. Like, I've seen games that are, like, you know, guess the type of chocolate or, like, decorate a onesie. And this was just a ton of alcohol for everyone but the mom-to-be. Yeah, it did kind of – it almost seemed like it was a – It well, it became that way. Like, it's – I mean, it started with it all calm, but then – but then, you know, Schmidt and even um, Beth, you know, the coworker, were like, oh, this is going to get crazy. And like, this is elective C-sections. And then, you know, they took a drink or, or she's four of them or something and took a drink. So, yeah, it like quickly got to be more of a party party. And I think, but in a way, like, I think that's what like the pregnant person wanted um, or the pregnant boss wanted. And not for it to be a crazy party, but for it to be like fun and people not to baby her. Yeah, she says that because she's forty and pregnant, which more people are treating her, like you said, with kid gloves. But Schmidt doesn't. Schmidt does not. He pushed her in the pool. <laughs> he had a good time and pushed her in the pool. And everyone like stops for a moment, freaks out, you know. Um, but she was just go she just goes, I'm having a baby and was just so excited. I mean, I I at least I'm with you that I haven't seen or heard of or been to any baby showers that kind of turned into this crazy alcoholic party, but the energy that they had and the excitement she had at the end after getting pushed in the pool to me was very exciting. And like, if that's the kind of energy, if I'm 40 and pregnant, that's the kind of energy I want to have. (laughs) And it really like fueled everybody else to have the same kind of energy because they all start jumping into the pool and like, I'm over here like, oh my God, is my phone in my back pocket? Like, I just, like, you're all jumping in the pool. Like, isn't this going to break your phones? But, you know, maybe people weren't as reliant on their phones and maybe it's okay if you break your flip phone. Well, for Schmidt, I don't, yeah, maybe it's okay if you break your flip phone. But for all the all the women there, they all seemed like they had little clutches at least that if they were starting to jump in, they'd probably drop their clutches. But I was with you. When they all first start, at least when Schmidt jumped in, I was like, hope you didn't have your phone in your pocket is that just like a is that like a post 2011 thought I guess because now that's like everything we all have phones in our pockets all the time I would say that it's something like I know like I've been like I've walked into an ocean like and I not realized that I had my phone in my pocket a little bit before 2011 so like I think it it would have been present then but I didn't even think about the fact that if all these women are wearing like nice dresses to this baby shower they're not going to have pockets necessarily for their phones. So maybe it was only Schmidt and Schmidt was pretty drunk. So he may just not have noticed. 
what I had a bigger question about was who at the end of this episode get got the cubicle or like how that even is going to play out. I'm interested to see maybe in episode nine. I'm not sure if they're going to address that. How are we going to get to see more of Schmidt's work? I'm hoping and assuming so, but they kind of left that hanging. Like, like the whole reason that Schmidt wanted to go to the baby shower in the first place is to like appeal to the boss to get the corner cubicle. But like, why was that a big deal? I don't even know. Yeah. I mean, Beth is, Beth is at the party and she doesn't look too happy about the fact that Schmidt's getting all this attention, but you're right. We don't find out and we'll see. I mean, maybe one of the days in the future episode, we'll just see one of them sitting in a bigger cubicle and we'll know. Talking more about like the other people at Schmidt's work, um, our Schmidtism this time, our first one at least, is around when Schmidt is talking about the chatty Cathy's. So I'll be reading the part of Schmidt and Kelly will be playing his VP. You know, Gina, I was just walking by and I mean, I was literally pulled in here by the glow. What do you want, Schmidt? I was just working my tail off at my cubicle, which between you and me is surrounded by a couple of chatty Cathy's. I mean, that's really their names. It's Kathy S and Kathy G. Anyway, they won't shut up about a baby shower tonight for a certain VP, VP. Very pregnant, vice presidente. Oh, classic Schmidt. He he knows how to take a situation and make fun puns in the middle of moments. <laughs> yeah, he's actually one of my favorite characters like over the course of New Girl that I remember. But it's it's interesting because I don't feel like I've actually picked him out as my favorite in a lot of episodes. So hopefully that'll change going forward. Yeah, but I love it. BP, VP, very pregnant vice presidente. <laughs> I, I'm so glad at least in that scene that he like clarified what the VP VP meant because I don't know about you I was watching it and I just was like VP VP like do I not know that acronym <laughs> I, I thought he was trying to say like very important vice president but then I was like that would be VI so like what is he trying to say too I was in the same boat but yeah the next one uh the next Schmidtism that we we called out had Schmidt and Winston and it was just a really cute small one but um critique again is gonna play Schmidt and I'm gonna be Winston Nick is a meat and potatoes kind of guy. Winston and I don't want to be part of this. We're sushi. Which is great to hear because like last episode, he eats a platter of $80 sushi by himself. So it's great that that's what he compares himself to sexually too. He, as much as I appreciate his appreciation and like can really just appreciate his, his little drops of puns or like cute phrases. I also at times I'm just like, I can't with you today or right now or in that moment because... This is not, <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> what do you mean, Schmidt? We're back to that. But in this episode, our Not in 2020 is not about Schmidt. Uh, actually, what we're going to focus on is this little moment in the episode where uh, Jess and Paul were on the phone, or Jess was on the phone with Paul, talking about where they were going to go on their date. And she said, like, let's go to this restaurant in Koreatown. And Paul responds, ooh, exotic. And it's... While it was a little moment in the episode, it definitely wasn't a little moment in, in terms of what we relate to our not in 2020, because exotic is a very, very loaded term, and it actually is noted as a microaggression. Yeah, and it's something like when I was listening to it, I kind of glanced over it. I didn't feel great about it, but I didn't you know, equate what some people do to the term, because the entire premise around the word exotic is that you're not from 
this part of the world. It's usually even also used to talk about plants and animals, not humans. And so when you like apply that to humans, it just it just gives it another connotation. And like one thing that always stands out to me is like the United States always talks about being like a melting pot. And so if we are this blend of other cultures, there shouldn't be anything like called out for being from another part of the world as in exotic like it's okay to say that we are a blend of different cultures but I don't know the way they highlight it 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 feels like a term that's used primarily for people who aren't white yes and that's exactly how I've heard it as well and and just know that it really is almost like they're trying to say exotic in such a way that it it is appreciative of a different culture but really it's just isolating and making it known that it's another it's an other it's not the whole so it's it's not and like just in general like it's not good it's not a it's not a welcome phrase per se in in everyday vernacular so it's especially because it's korea like they're talking about koreatown which is a neighborhood it's not even like a specific restaurant it's not like it's not they didn't just didn't say the type of restaurant that it was she just said i think it's in koreatown which i don't know why that gets an exotic response or like why he would respond with that term because two where where does where does Paul live like we don't know where Paul lives but like he at least lives in LA he's at least heard of Koreatown before like this isn't like a new concept to him yeah and so two things there one you touched on kind of briefly is that like you've heard it used as a compliment and that's kind of how I've heard it used but it's like in a very like people don't mean something bad by it when they generally use the term exotic, but that doesn't make it okay. And what's kind of interesting is when I was looking this up, um, some of the sites that I had was looking at, one of them actually had a poll that said, is it okay to call someone exotic? And there are over 8,500 votes. 42% of them said, yes, it's a compliment. And 58% said, no, it's ignorant. So this is something that like, I don't think there's a clear line that all of society is following that this is okay, not okay. And a lot of people do think it's still okay. As far as like, for me, I feel like, like I was saying, I didn't notice it. And maybe part of that is like, just, I feel like I have definitely had someone either call me exotic or call my name exotic before, and I've kind of brushed it off. And so in some ways, I feel like I'm a little bit desensitized to it because I've been on the receiving end. And because I try and look at it from a place of intent, which is generally not you know, something that is intended to have an unpleasant impact. Um, I think I've kind of brushed it away, which is not to say that's okay, but um, def- probably why, like, as a non-white person, I kind of didn't even notice it because I was just like, oh, okay, that's just another passing comment, whatever. Yeah, no, I think too, it's just, even if even if it's something that you maybe didn't think before, like, or if someone listening didn't think before that it was something to be even thought twice about like maybe it is just a moment of reflection just to say like like or at least for even this situation with Paul like Jess goes you know I think the restaurant's in Koreatown and Paul's responding exotic like I'd almost I would love to have asked the fictional Paul or like the writers writing for Paul like what was the intended compliment here because if it is a compliment if it is meant to show appreciation like what is the intent behind that because like you said like you know you 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 know that the intent might be good but like what could have been like a different term Paul used? Like he could have said like, oh, like delicious, you know, because maybe that's all that was intended, you know, or was it something more demeaning? Like, oh, like that's unique to me because it's not my culture. And, you know, and if that's really what it is, then like 
maybe just call out that that's not your culture, like, and that you want to try some different food. And that sounds exciting, but it's, it's not exotic. It's exciting. So I was just about to say, that's kind of the word I would have used too. I don't think it's demeaning to say, oh, it's not my culture, but, or to imply that. But I think that where I come back to it is he probably meant like, oh, we haven't had this, or I don't eat a lot of Korean food, which is probably where it's coming from, but exciting or, oh, that's new would have been a a very easy way to use it. And like the word didn't add anything to the show, like even from a joke perspective, because it, we immediately moved on because that's when Jess realizes when Jess finds the porn. So it didn't add anything. And so this could have easily been something else. Um, another word that could have given us the same kind of just reaction to then cut away from completely and move on to another topic. The other thing that we wanted to just briefly touch on when we talked about not in 2020, um, when Schmidt's sitting on the couch and talking to the guys about their sex lives, he talks about how Nick hasn't gotten that much better because he used to listen to Caroline and Nick in college. And the way he describes it is it was like listening to a rescue crew trying to communicate with a stranded minor. And what we agree with here is the Nick and Caroline portion of this because we feel like consent is something that's always important to have and the not in 2020 of the aspect of it for us was Schmidt kind of making fun of that yeah I mean it was I mean it was a kind of a cute scene that he was reenacting right like it was kind of a funny moment but it really like Schmidt was trying to comment on it that it was like not okay but or it was weird but in college like maybe that's just fine like everyone's exploring everyone doesn't know like what they're doing and if they're really trying to like do that safely and nicely with the two of them, then maybe they sounded like stranded, <laughs> stranded minors, but they're at least, at least making sure the other is comfortable and that nothing was uncomfortable or forced in any way. So I would say props to props to Nick for that, because that's not a bad thing. So don't let Schmidt bully you for sure. And now we're going to get into pop culture. But before we do, we really need to talk about Jess and Paul's sex scene. What the heck was that scene? Like, we kind of touched on it earlier, but it also is like, everything about the way that that unfolded was ridiculous and so, so silly. Yeah, I had no idea what they were doing. I think my favorite voice, though, was the old-timey newscaster. It was my favorite of all the ones that Jess tried. Right? I mean, it was, (laughs) she's like, all the way from Port Townsend to Port Kansas, you know? I just, she really committed. She picked a part and she she went for it. Um, But then... Because she was doing that old-timey newscaster voice, Paul is like, oh, okay, like, I'm going to get on, get in on this too. But the voice that he picked was Jimmy Stewart, and he's like, oh, I'm, I'm doing Jimmy Stewart. And I'm just like, oh, gosh, these, these two people, these are just two old-timey, old-timey voices and old-timey, like, accent. So Jimmy Stewart, though, uh, to go into who that was had a film career that spanned over 55 years. He was from, he, he was an actor from 1935 to 1991 with 80 films. Um, he also like was just kind of epitomized the American ideal of what an actor was in the 20th century. Um, he, I, I noted a few things he was in, like he was in a wonder, it's a wonderful life. He was in anatomy of a murder and vertigo. Some of his very popular movies, um, but he also 
was a voice in an American tale, Fifel Goes West, which Jess referenced um, back in episode two when she sat down and it was the scary movie on the couch and she wanted to, um, she wanted to, <laughs> to, they were watching the scary movie and she wanted to watch. She goes, you guys want to watch American Tale? Um, I, I just thought that was great, the like little connection, which I'm sure if the writers did know that, then like props to them, but they probably didn't. So I, I thought that was great though, that she was interested in knows that movie and you know paul's making the voice of jimmy stewart so it was it was pretty silly i wonder if they picked the voices that both jess and paul did based on just writing the script or if they actually talked to the actors and saw what voices they could do and then wrote the script around that i i mean i would imagine it's probably the latter actually because you know just to me seems like the kind of person that would be able like i don't know i feel like zoe deschanel has done that kind of voice before or just has that kind of like old-timey voice in general and it's not that hard for her to get to that point um but yeah i'm not sure for for paul maybe or for justin um justin long if he has done other accents or anything so Jimmy Stewart was really like his voice was really known um, to have pauses and he could really hold an attention of some audiences and just really liked his stammering pauses or like that was kind of his thing. And that is exactly what Paul did. And he he reenacted that pretty well. But a weird choice, a weird choice for the bedroom. Definitely a weird choice. But, you know, Jess is also learning everything she knows from about sex, we said from Spencer, but also from the Clinton's impeachment on NPR. So we get this like clip of her listening to NPR on a radio of Clinton's impeachment. And then I think her mom or someone comes home and she like knocks it out. She's like, I wasn't listening to NPR. So our second pop culture reference here is actually a two for one. So um, Clinton's impeachment happened in December of 1998. And um, he was impeached by the House of Representatives on two charges perjury to a grand jury and obstruction of justice and while he was the second president we've had to be impeached he was not actually convicted which is why he stayed out the rest of his term in office and like i said two for one so the other pop culture thing we want to include here is npr so while we all kind of know it as npr it's legally actually known as national public radio which I'm sure a lot of people know, but they don't really use that anymore. And it's been around since 1970. But what really shocked me is I like, I've listened to NPR, um, my parents listened to it. But like, I didn't realize that 28 million people listen to this weekly, like on the radio. Yeah, I definitely didn't even know uh, NPR stood for National Public Radio. I always just knew NPR. I mean, National Public Radio makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I'm I'm a big fan as well. But I will say, and just in general too, I love Little Jess. Little Jess is my favorite, where she <laughs> throws the radio on the ground because she's learning all the bad things from Clinton impeachment trial. <laughs> like what? of all things, right? I and yeah, I totally agree. I think every moment we've gotten flashbacks of Jess so far have been some of my favorite moments of those episodes. I think it's really cool too on New Girl that they've already like since like episode two even, I don't know exactly, but like so far in the series, they've already done these flashbacks. Like that's that's really cool. We get flashbacks about Cece and Jess or like through Jess, but like just really cool that they're starting to do these flashbacks like really early on and not just saving it for like one episode. Yeah, and it's not like the first season you're really proving yourself and I hope that this sets the stage for like the upcoming seasons like we know obviously this had seven seasons so I hope we get to have a lot more of these flashbacks like we do on season one so far yeah same um in guest stars we had two different um 
two different guest stars that we're going to highlight today. That wasn't really all the ones in the in the episode. There were a few others, um, but we're we're going to just focus in on two. So first is Eva Murray Martino, and she's actually the daughter of Susan Sarandon. She um, is an actress, and she's been even in a movie, The Banger Sisters, where she played the daughter of her mother's character. And then uh, she's she just a little more about who she was as she went to Brown and. Um, had married and has since divorced a major league soccer player. So um, some of the TV shows that she's been in is How I Met Your Mother. She was in two episodes of that, and she does come back in another episode of New Girl. Um, she's also been in The Mindy Project and Californication and in movies like the one um, Kelly mentioned, but also Saved and That's My Boy. The other guest star that we're featuring here is Schmidt's boss, Gina, who is Michaela Watkins. So she's done a lot of TV stuff. Um, she's in more episodes of New Girl. Um, some of the ones that I wanted to highlight because I've seen or heard of them is The Goldbergs, Casual, The Unicorn, and then she's a voice actor in Big Mouth. But she's also done things like Drunk History, Veep, Transparent, um, and then another voice acting gig in um, American Dad. Yeah, and Michaela Watkins actually, um, I was reading about her, did a lot of her original or like early career, did a lot of regional theater in even Portland, Oregon, where I live. So she had participated in Portland Center, Center Stage. I've, I've seen plays by that same company. Um, so that's kind of cool to know that she kind of maybe didn't get her start there, but had had some performances there. Um, but then she kind of from there, from regional theater transitioned into improv. And she actually um, got a, a one season stint on Saturday Night Live. And at the time, she was the oldest woman hired to Saturday Night Live um, at 37. And, and it's not usually a thing that women... I don't know, older women over older, but older women over 30, I would assume, get hired to SNL. But um, yeah, Michaela Watkins was hired there at 37. And then, um, you know, Leslie Jones beat that record by being 47 um, when she was hired to SNL. But um, after one season on SNL, she was fired. And um, I guess it was, I was reading a little bit about that too, is that it was more of a surprise, I guess. But um, but yeah, kind of cool. She still got that experience, but then has still, despite that experience, had such a successful TV and movie career. Yeah, and some of the shows that I mentioned are like this past season. So um, I'm not sure if all of them got a renewal. It'll be interesting to see her continuing her career. Yeah, no, agreed. So um, some fun fact, or fun fact about this, um, about New Girl and about this episode, is we really wanted to take some time to highlight the bar that Nick works at. So the bar he works at is called The Prince, and it's in Koreatown, actually. So this bar, it's actually really seeped in movie history, um, because there was a movie, Chinatown, which I guess had um, Jack Nicholson and Faye Dunaway, I think, I mean, it's from maybe the 70s or the 80s. I don't remember exactly. But um, that this bar, it's like, I mean, and we all know it, right? From New Girl, where it's like very red and the boots and whatnot. But like, there's some scenes or the way that, that that bar can be like filmed. It can look really, really dark and like really red and like significant or a little bit brighter the way that New Girl has done it. Um, but it was in that movie Chinatown originally. Um, it was also in a few episodes of Mad Men. Um, but really, it's been most prominent in New Girl, as we've seen um, so far, and we're going to see more of in, in episodes to come, because that's where Nick uh, tends bar. And um, however, the, the exterior of it is actually at a different bar called Griffin, and that's an Atwater Village. But the inside is definitely the Prince in Koreatown. 
that's kind of cool that they use two different bars to show what we have. Like, I'm I'm sure that's probably standard for films and TV, but like, I definitely had no idea. Yeah, well, I know, and it's kind of I feel like it is kind of standard, but then it's also kind of funny how they're able to do that so seamlessly, but then it kind of like, if you go in person, it kind of makes you sad because you're like, well, wait, like this isn't what that looks like. So really the outside of the Prince bar is very unassuming and it's very much like just like a wall with like a door and then you go in and it kind of goes down a little bit and that's the bar that you know of. But this was actually one of the only, it's like one of the only um, locations that it's it's very rare in Los Angeles these days because it's a period like bar a period setting of a bar that still allows you to film at the bar itself um so yeah so luckily like or luckily or however they paid for it I did I did I was reading too we have this article and we'll definitely share it out it was also saying that the bar was willing uh they were able to film there because they were willing to shut down for not a ton of money which uh is harder to find in LA but then it only really did that till season four when they did finally recreate the bar I guess in exact detail on a soundstage to save some time and money so maybe when we get to season four much later on you know not to look out for that but just to kind of like if you if you get that far in the show before us, you can kind of maybe note if there's any differences with what the bar looks like from season one through four to season five. So just thought that was kind of cool. Some some a little deep dive on Nick's bar or what we know as as the bar that Nick works at. The other thing that we thought was kind of fun in this episode, um, or maybe it's more like a gotcha catch. If you're watching the episode or go back and watch this and Maybe we can find the timestamp and include it in the show notes. But there is a moment when Jess is trying to talk to the guys and she says like, she's trying to euphemize it, but she eventually says, when you reach completion, and it pans back over to the three guys. And if you watch Max Greenfield, he is breaking. Like he is not acting in character. He is not Schmidt. He is just laughing because I mean, I can understand if someone is saying that to me, it's really hard to keep a straight face. She also, I mean, Zoe Deschanel in that moment, like was so committed to the character and like so committed to like the line. She says it so funny and so awkwardly that I don't blame, I don't blame Max Greenfield for just kind of having his own little laugh in that moment. And like, you could, I mean, you it's like a split second almost, but like you watch his face and you can kind of tell it's not, it's not a Schmidt laugh. It's a, it's a Max Greenfield laugh. I love those moments too. Cause it's like, Obviously, when you're watching, you're engrossed in the show and you're like, this This is not a person. This is like, you don't think of them as actors necessarily, especially when it's a good show. You you think of them as their character, but it's still kind of like a fun moment when you're like, oh, you're just like me, except you're acting and this is great. So getting into the rating section of our podcast, this episode had 6.79 million viewers when the episode came out, and the IMDb rating for it was a 7.5 out of 10. For me, it was a little bit lower. Um, originally, I'd put it at like a 6.5, but I actually raised it to a 7 when I watched it. I think it has a lot of good moments that I really enjoyed, and like, you know, I really like seeing Jess get out of her head, which made it great, but I also felt like I didn't see as much of the plot progressing and like at this point like I I'm really shipping Paul and Jess but I also kind of like her with Nick and I didn't get very much of that so I feel like that's one of the reasons that I couldn't give it even higher what about you Kelly yeah I give it more of a six and a half out of ten actually 
I, I think as, I don't know, even though we kind of discussed and really reviewed a lot of, you know, what Jess was going through and like how, why she was kind of having these moments about like hooking up with Paul and like why it was such like a kind of a struggle for her and like why she was kind of going about it in a weird way. For me, I was a little just, I was annoyed by Jess in this episode, unfortunately. I really like, I liked the comedy with Schmidt. I liked the baby shower. I liked the comedy with Nick and his haircut. But, and I, I mean, and I like Paul as a character. I'm with you that I am here to see Jess and Paul get together. But Jess and her, I don't know, like some of the things she did and kind of bothered me. I don't know. Just, it, it wasn't, it wasn't my favorite episode for Jess. And it was just not, even though like, you know, like it's not, this isn't an episode that I think I'm going to come back to. And it's not an episode that I think I want to, you know, like, like you, it didn't really further the plot. So just a six and a half out of 10 for me. But my favorite character in that case was Nick. I really, I really loved like his haircut moments and how he had to explore what um, he was comfortable with, but then going to the barbershop and just trying to fit in with everybody. Nick's storyline for me was just, it was a nice breath of fresh air compared to the main sex scenes and descriptions and everything involved with that on the other half of the episode so I I really liked Nick Nick this time mine was Paul I felt like you know he's this really open guy in the sense of he's really like trying to be there for Jess you can tell he really likes Jess and I I don't know I just feel like he's such a good guy that I can't not pick him like I, I know I picked him for Thanksgiving as well and I just I feel like he's so good at being a good friend a good partner and just like kind of rolling with the punches so he automatically gets my favorite character he he is pretty great i i will give you that so and that's episode eight bad in bed so at this point you know everyone who's been listening for the past couple weeks you know we're getting into our spoiler section next and anyone new welcome if you haven't watched the rest of the show or you just don't want to know anything more about future storylines, this is your chance to break away as always kelly and i appreciate you taking your time to listen to this and we really would like feedback and ratings on your preferred podcast channels. We love getting to hear what you think and all of your opinions as well and your favorite characters. So please go to whatever podcast channel you're on and give us a rating, comments for Who's That Girl. You can also always send us an email at whosthatgirlpod at gmail.com. And you can interact with us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Who's That Girl Pod. So we hope you'll be back next week for episode nine. And you have five more seconds to get out before the spoilers start. All right. So our spoilers, here we are. So, you know, each week we're really recapping um, the relationships and how that's coming together. So for Jess and Nick, unfortunately, the whole theme of episode eight was for Jess and Paul to hook up and have sex. And they did. And Jess and Nick maybe like the babyest of moment where Nick is just trying to like seem good at sex in front of Jess. But I think that was more just for his dignity overall that he wanted to be known as being good at good at sex. And I think not only that he wanted to be known as good at sex, but he didn't want his friends to think he was bad at sex. Like I think it was less about Jess knowing that he was good and more about like, wait, this whole time you guys have thought I was bad. Exactly. So it's not so between Nick and Jess, there wasn't too much even at the end even at the end when like Nick and Winston are trying to talk to Jess and like make her not be so upset or worried basically 
Jess isn't even listening to Nick. She's like, no, you don't talk. I'm listening to Winston. So the ranking overall for them this episode, unfortunately, was like a one out of 10. Like, doesn't seem like they're getting together soon. It seems like Jess and Paul are really together and they're staying together for the moment. But Nick and Jess, uh, not so much. Yeah, our other couple, Schmidt and Cece, that we track, pretty much the same. We actually rank them a zero out of 10 for this one because they don't interact with each other. And while both, like, Cece's actually in this episode, which is a step up, but Schmidt sleeps with someone else in this episode and they don't have any FaceTime. So really nothing for the two of them. Nothing for them either. And and really with Schmidt, um, I will say for the douchebag tracker and kind of seeing Schmidt's evolution to being more genuine, you know, in this episode, our ranking for him is really a five out of 10. So he's not super douchey and he's not super genuine, but he at least is 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 trying to make efforts at work and he's he's trying to make efforts with Jess and like work with her. So it really wasn't one way or the other. He kind of was just right in the middle there. Yeah, I think the perfect example of a five out of 10 is that scene on the couch because he's sitting there and he's like, okay, Jess, what do you want to know? Because he is trying to help her but then is also like you know I'm the best at sex right you you can tell me I'm the best at sex so it's like he balances himself out a lot in this episode yeah I mean I think that almost just comes back to that whole moment with um with Jess and, and Schmidt on the roof right where Schmidt is, is or like Jess is recognizing about Schmidt she's like you know if you only focus on the things you do on accident like you're a pretty good guy <laughs> so I think that's just in that like you just said in that moment where he's like well wait like Jess like let's help you but then he's sushi you know you can't you can't mess with him he's the best um but yeah anyway we didn't really have any other spoilers this episode did we nothing we caught on this one well again critique and I just want to say thanks for listening uh we really appreciate you making it this far already with us and and just hearing what we have to say so uh we would really really appreciate if you took some time and wrote us a review or gave us a rating in apple podcast we also would love any and all of your feedback if you email us at who's that girl pod at gmail.com or on Twitter and Instagram at Who's That Girl Pod. And we hope to see you back for next week, episode nine.